Hello and welcome back to Holding Space for Therapists. I am your host, Dr. Cassidy, and in today's episode, we are holding space for money, 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 money. We are talking about money mindset, fears around finances as it relates to being a helper, being a therapist. I invited onto the podcast, Lindsay Brian Podvin. She is a biracial financial therapist, speaker, and author of the book, The Financial Anxiety Solution. In her therapy practice, Mind Money Balance, she uses shame-free financial therapy to help people get their minds and money in balance. She has recently expanded her services to help private practice therapists with their money mindset, sustainable pricing, and authentic marketing so they can include financial self-care into their work. I'm so excited to introduce you to her and to share this really important conversation. This is a podcast episode that I wish I had heard when I was first starting off, so I am so glad that you're here, whether it's at the beginning of your career or smack dab in the middle of it. I'm so glad that you're here. Now, before we dive in, I want to quickly share that on May 19th, the doors to my private practice e-courses are opening their doors. So this is my private practice roadmap course, my established therapist marketing toolkit course, as well as podcasting for therapists. You can learn more about these courses at the link in the show notes and join the waitlist to be the first to know when the doors officially open. All right, you ready to dive into the episode? I can't wait to share Lindsay with you. Let's get to it. You're listening to Holding Space for Therapists, a podcast for modern therapists. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I'm passionate about supporting therapists and building profitable, sustainable, and meaningful private practices. Are you ready to build or grow your modern private practice? Let's dive in. Hello, Lindsay. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your week to come and join me on the podcast and to have what I know is going to be a really important conversation and our listeners are going to get so much value from. So I'm just so grateful to to have you on. And before we get started though, um, there's been there's been some pretty tragic events this week and just wanted to check in see how you are doing as a human being navigating the events of this week, but not just this week, right? Um, And just kind of check in, see how you're doing, my friend. Yeah. Thanks, Cassidy. Well, first, I'm I'm really excited to be here and chat with you about one of my favorite things, which is money, specifically money and therapists. (laughs) Um, And yeah, in terms of what's been going on, so we are like a day and a half, two days out of a, a shooting that happened outside of Atlanta targeting um, Asians. And I'm biracial, I'm Filipina and white. And so anytime there is a a hate crime um, in the Asian community or any community, as as we all know, like you said, being humans, it's it's hard, you know, being a, a therapist who's trying to hold space for others while navigating a really intense trauma is yeah. is challenging yeah. and it's also the reality of most of us therapists most of us therapists over the past year have been navigating a pandemic in parallel with our clients right we are also right. struggling with 
How do we work from home? What does it mean to be a frontline responder? How do we stay safe? How do we adhere to guidelines? Um, you know, and then the griefs and losses that we've all experienced over this past year. So it's not new for therapists to experience things in tandem. This one just feels particularly close to home um, yeah. being biracial. Yeah, of course. And you and I were chatting before before we started recording and and something that I had shared was that I am I'm working with a diversity consultant, um, and so one of the conversations that I want to have with her during our next session is, you know, I I don't why why does a life have to be lost, right? Why does there need to be a death for the conversation to take center stage as the, in the way that it has over the past two days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't, I don't have that answer, um, and that's why I'm paying somebody for their time and their energy to support me as I'm learning and unlearning and learning again um, about the ways I can show up um, and continue to do my own anti-racist work um, mm-hmm. and, and and my role, right, the role that I have as well. Um, and yeah, I am very grateful to you for coming on the podcast um, and also want to hold space for the fact that this is a lot and you Mm -hmm. are in it and living in it and it is close to home for you right now. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, a a part of the reason why I do this work, this work for me being financial therapy, is that money is inherently intersected with things like race and class and gender, religion, ability, et cetera, et cetera. Is so, it ever? Right. So we have to, when we talk about money, we can't just talk about it in terms of blanket statements. We also have to include the intersectionalities that a particular person or couple experiences. Um, if we want to truly engage in money work, um, to me, money work and mental health work, they are absolutely intersected. And and that's that's why I love doing this stuff because it's so much more than a budget and spreadsheets. It is, what does money mean to you? What Mm. do you associate money with? Are you allowed to earn money? Did you have the ability to talk about money growing up? And when we layer that under and on things like racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, et cetera, it becomes so much more complicated. And that's why I think us as therapists are uniquely positioned to be able to hold space for our clients to talk about money. Mm. And we've got to hold space for ourselves. Right? <laughs> yes, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> because oh my goodness, I I'm um, I have a friend who um, it recently put out a a money course, and I've been working through it um, to kind of you know for myself and for her, right? So kind of like be able to give her feedback. And as I'm going through it, I'm like, oh no, no, this is this is for me. Like I have a lot of work to do here because right. I have I have a money story. I have mm-hmm. uh, like that that part of me. With the minute we talk about money, there's a part of me that kind of like starts to shiver in the corner and and then has a story to tell of experiences that is absolutely related to the systems around me, um, family of origin being just one of those systems, but mm-hmm. um, all of the intersectionality components of my identity show up around money and the messages that I've received and have internalized. And oh my gosh, um, I mean, even for us to record this episode, I mean, I'm like, 
there was a part of me that part of me got nervous like oh yeah. can you really can you really host a conversation around money because money brings up so much stuff some call it baggage i call it luggage cuz it's just mm. it's stuff that comes along for the journey um but i don't it doesn't have to weigh us down right like we can we can start to shed light on it and hold space for it and i'm so excited to get a chance to explore this explore this with you especially as it relates for therapists and doing yes. the work right before we can before we can take someone somewhere we oftentimes have to be able to go there ourselves you know yeah. mm-hmm. um and not that we're going to have the same experiences with our clients that's not a prerequisite but that we can um that we can do the work ourselves right and hold that yeah. space for ourselves too especially as business owners and entrepreneurs and oh my goodness so tell us a little bit about how you got into doing this work and what what drives you and where did this passion come from? Mm-hmm. So my background is as a social worker. I am in Michigan here, so I've got my license um, in social work and my MSW. And I come from a financially privileged background, um, but not so privileged that, you know, I can just call somebody and and get money. But that did mean that I graduated school with no loans. Um, I worked through school, uh, but I also had just access to things. I had things much easier and had fewer financial barriers than others. And at the same time, when I graduated with my master's degree in social work, my first job was paying me $32,000, which means I was earning less money with a master's degree in social work than I was in my prior job as a waitress and bartender. So really quickly, I had to kind of scramble and figure out ways to make ends meet. Um, I was used to being able to pick up a shift if I needed more money, right? I was used to being able to call up the the restaurant and say, hey, anyone want to switch me shifts? Or can I take a longer shift? Can I pick up something? I always had had this ability that if I needed money, I could just work more. And that was no longer available to me. Or if it was, it was going to severely harm me in that I was already working, you know, 40 plus hours a week. It it really wasn't conducive to my mental health then to go and take on a weekend shift. Though I will be clear that lots of other social workers work multiple jobs. Um, So as I was trying to figure out how to manage my money, I also experienced so much shame because here I was financially privileged enough to not come out of school with student loans and also living paycheck to paycheck and feeling really confused and really overwhelmed with what does that mean? How can I quote unquote adult and, and feel comfortable and confident? So I started seeking out information about money that looked like, you know, gosh, this was over 10 years ago that I graduated or 10 years ago, I guess now that I graduated. So then it was um, watching like the Susie Orman show and checking out books from the library. Podcasts were just kind of start picking up. And the more I learned, the better that I felt. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't even about the the money, but the confidence that came with understanding how money worked helped me to feel really good in, in other aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. In my job that I was earning my, you know, 32K a year, I was also severely burnt out. Um, I had incredible insomnia. I was getting sick all the time. I loved my work, but like many social work jobs, it was a lot of secondary trauma and a lot of of pain and processing that at that point in time as a new social worker, I just didn't have the capacity to safely compartmentalize. And I knew that I couldn't stay there forever. And so I got a job that 
to me was a huge pay raise. I got a job that allowed me to earn $50,000 a year. And then that came with a whole new level of money shame of how dare I as a social worker make money? What does it mean that I've only been in this field a few years and now I'm making more money than my old supervisors? Da, 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 da. So I, I wrestled with so much money stuff and my clients were also wrestling with money stuff, right? I specialized in depression and anxiety. And of course my clients were coming in with money stuff, but I was really trained to refer and advocate out when it came to money. And that just didn't feel right, Cassidy. I felt like if these people are coming Mm -hmm. to me and they feel comfortable enough to say, hey, I'm stuck with my money, what does it mean to say, ooh, you better call this 800 number. Like what kind of a feeling does that impart onto Mm. your client, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not to say practice outside of your scope or do anything unethical, but it's just to kind of get curious with why do we feel like money is off limits when we are trained to hold space for things like trauma, abuse, neglect, really hard things. But when money comes up, we are trained to, you know, pass it on to somebody else, Right. And so at that point in time, I really started to see a need for kind of my, my personal experience, but also a need for my clients to have a place for them to talk about money that was much more emotional and psychologically minded than mm. budget minded, right? The numbers are super important in money. I, I don't deny that a calculator and a spreadsheet can be your best friend when it comes to money, but to feel comfortable enough opening up that spreadsheet and typing in the numbers into that calculator, that takes a lot of emotional and psychological work. So I sought oh out goodness. additional training in financial therapy and financial social work so I could ethically provide those services to my clients. And that's where I got to where I am today. Oh my goodness. I will not open that spreadsheet, Lindsay, until I've done the work. <laughs> like I right, will, right. Right. Like it will I I have to do this work in order for me to get to that point, right? Mm-hmm. And it's ongoing work. Like there I don't think that there's you know, I mean, you can definitely get to a place where when those mindset blocks show up that you notice them and you're able to move through them and you have um, better you know, better skills to kind of understand when some of the emotional stuff around money comes up for you. But for me, it's, it's going to be continuous work, um, I think, mm-hmm. because of just the role that money plays in our lives and mm-hmm. how much power comes in it and the the um the intensity of the discourse around money, um, especially as it relates to the intersectionality of our identities. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I am so excited to dive into this with you. Let's talk. You named a couple of them, I noticed, as we were talking, some of those um, mindset things that can come up mm-hmm. around money as clinicians. Mm-hmm. One of them being like, like, who am I to make money, right? Or like more right. money at my as, than my supervisor or more money at this stage or just money in general mm-hmm. as a social worker where when I'm supposed to be a helper, right? right. Um, so that's definitely one I'm sure. But can you name and identify some of the mindset components that can come up around money for therapists so that our listeners can begin to see if any of these resonate with them? Yeah, it's it's so interesting because as therapists, we are really good at at finding the in-between when it comes to black and white thinking for our clients. But when it comes yeah. to money, we really struggle <laughs> to, oh my to hold space for two things, right? 
So as you were talking, the, the first one and the most common one I hear is some sort of iteration of you didn't go into this field to make money, which to me, you know, you're making more money than your supervisor, who am I to make money is all mm. housed under this idea that to be a helper or healer, therefore means you have to be impoverished or not earning a good living. And yeah. I completely disagree. I think yeah. that you know, as, as mental health care providers, we are often the lowest paid mid-level health care providers, you know, compared to physician's assistants and nurse practitioners, we make much less money. And so yeah. to me, especially now, as I mentioned at the top of our conversation, as we are being asked to do more and more and more, and we are seeing the importance of mental health care, not just as something to do when something bad happens, but also as preventative care, we need to honor it and to pay people for that work because you're not just going in and clocking in and clocking out. You're holding space for people's inner lives. And to me, that deserves financial compensation. Yeah. Um, so that's the first one is some sort of iteration of you didn't choose this field to make money. Um, other yeah, ones- I heard and- that. I heard that from a professor in, in my master's program that like you you don't go into this job to make money. And I remember oh, sitting yeah. there being like, oh, well, I mean, yes, I want to be a helper, but also like, I think I want to make a living. <laughs> I, I ha- like, so do, is there a ceiling, right? Is there a ceiling yeah. that I just won't ever push through? Yeah. yeah. And in your, I heard that exact same thing too in my classes. And I also heard somebody, um, it was either a professor or guest speaker, essentially, not essentially, they did, came in and said, I don't think that social workers who go into private practice are real social workers, right? And the message there is, right, if you choose to make money, you're not a real social worker. Um, So we get this message everywhere. And it's not just from our professors. It's also from our colleagues, right? If you go into private practice and somehow fees get brought up and people hear you charge a certain rate or how full your practice are, your, your practices, you can feel that discomfort, that irritation. I've worked with clients um, uh, underneath the umbrella of work I do. I see clients clinically, but then I also have clients who are therapists in a coaching capacity. And I have a right. lot of clients in the coaching capacity who one of their biggest fears, either true or realized, is my colleagues will think I'm greedy. They're going to be jealous of me. They're going to think I'm doing this for the wrong reason, right? There's so yeah. much of that. Oh my goodness. It is. I'm so, I'm so glad that you're naming these things and we're shedding a light because my hope is that the more and more we speak to how damaging those messages are to Mm -hmm. our field, I think the, the, the easier and easier it'll become to when we hear these messages to be able to say, okay, I get that maybe this is the framework and the context and the message that this person has received and like they're continuing to perpetuate it for some reason, but that we, I can start to unhook myself from the, this idea because it's not mm-hmm. serving me and I am worthy. I don't have to earn that worth. Like I'm just worthy of being able to make a living beyond just scraping by. Um, and I can be both a helper and somebody 
who has a financially healthy business that's running right. and I'm taking care of myself, mm-hmm. um, that these both of these things can exist with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if I was working with a client, um, I would probably say the same thing to them, you know, but gosh, the, the messages can be really strong in our field. Um, and so damaging because then you burn out and you're not able to do the work that you were called to do in the capacity that is possible, right? Like it's, oh my gosh, it's, it's not helping anyone. Um, okay. So that's a big one. Um, Mm -hmm. do you see other, other mindset blocks? I know that one that comes up for me is I'm not good at math. I'm not good with numbers. Like I'm not (laughs) money minded. Like I'm just not. Um, like that definitely comes up for me sometimes and I've definitely worked through it. Um, and it's, I'm still continuing though to work around it, but it's definitely one that can show up, I think for folks, um, just like, I'm just not like money finances. I'm just not financially minded. I'm not good at it, quote unquote, you know? And so then we avoid it, you know, Um, or, or we get in our own way of making more of it because it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know how to handle it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And you're not alone. I've heard iterations of that as well. This idea that I'm bad at math or I'm bad at money. So therefore I just won't do it. And I want to reassure all of your listeners that I too consider myself to be bad at math and have proof because I failed college algebra, right? So (laughs) when we talk about money and I say again and again and again, it's mostly emotional, emotional and psychological. I really mean it. The benefit of the world in which we exist right now is that there are calculators for everything. There are apps for everything. There is help for everything. You don't have to be doing everything manually to be able to understand how your practice operates and how math works in terms of the, the math needed to be good at money. And I also think being bad at money is so shame-based, right? Because Mm. it's so internalized. I'm bad at money. I should have given more to charity. I should have seen less clients. Like any of those shoulds are all housed under that shame. Um, Mm. But again, it's really interesting because if we were sitting with a client and they said, gosh, I'm just, you know, I'm really bad at money. And we held a mirror to them and they're saying, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm not smart enough. We might say, well, you also have at least a master's degree. So it tells me you've at least made it through 12 years of school, plus four years of undergrad, plus two years of grad school. And then if you're a PhD, more and more and more. So you obviously have the capacity to do hard things and things that are maybe a little academic. So this idea that, you know, therapists aren't good at numbers is, um, a trope that we need to put an end to because the numbers that we need to be good at are, are very, very minimal. Oh my gosh, totally. And it's interesting, as I was working on my Modern Therapist Academy course, I had to do a lot of my own work around money before I could put something together, before I could support others, because money is such a huge component of this. And so I really had to do a lot of learning around ways in which we can be considering retirement and how can we, a question I get often is, well, I want to offer sliding scale, but how do I know how low I can slide and what Mm. my fee should be? And I really wanted to support people in coming up with 
um, an equation that was also not an equation because it's not black. It's it's not it's, it's, <laughs> it's so much it's so nuanced, right? Based right. on a unique everyone's unique situation, how could I take that all into consideration? And and I was able to put something together, but I had to really do my own work first around this. Um, and so I bring the question to you of, let's say, you know, someone is starting off and they are like, okay, I got to set my fee and I'm having these um, money, money stories come up and money mindset things come up for me. And I'm trying to set my fee and I, I maybe also, I want to be able to be accessible because that's also a value of mine. How do I both honor my own needs as a human and as a business owner um, who wants to grow and scale my business and break through that ceiling um, Mm -hmm. while also being accessible and offering a service and being able to maybe also offer a sliding scale. Like, do I need to get on insurance panels? Oh my gosh, so many questions come up, right? Around just the money component. And Obviously, one podcast episode isn't going to unpack everything. And obviously, there are people like you that someone could hire and work with to really kind of unpack all the elements. But what is some just initial thoughts that you would offer to a listener who is maybe grappling with some of these questions? Yeah, I think it's it's one of the most common questions is, A, how do I set my fee? And then B, how low can I slide my scale? <laughs> Right. It's it's like the hands down the most frequently asked question that I get. And so I usually pose to therapists to do the therapist thing first and envision what type of life they want to have with their private practice. How many clients a week do you want to see? How many days a week do you want to work? Do you prefer to work evenings and weekends? Do you prefer to work kind of a traditional Monday through Friday? Is it important for you to offer groups? Is it important for you to be connected to maybe your alma mater or other schools and do continuing education? Like really spend some time kind of daydreaming about what your ideal practice looks like before you get to the numbers. And the reason for that is so many people pick their fee based off of what other people are charging or based off mm-hmm. of, you know, what what they think they should be charging, but that's a really, really bad way to create a business. Um, so first kind of figure out how much you want to be working and um, build in time as well for, for time off. So then once you kind of have that loose idea of, of your week to week and your day to day and what it would look like, then you can start kind of layering numbers on top of it. So, okay, I want to be able to have at least a month off over the course of the year, right? That gives me like two weeks over winter holidays and then another week or two to kind of sprinkle throughout the year. So that means I need to be working 48 weeks out of the year, right? So now we have a number that we can start working with. And then we start thinking about how many clients do you want to see a week? Is it, do you burn out really quickly and you need a lot of space? And for you, about 15 clients a week feels good. Are you the kind of person who feels pretty comfortable seeing 25, 30 clients in a week, um, but maybe wants to take a week off a month? Maybe you like being busy, 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 and then taking some time off, right? So figure out energetically and in terms of your lifestyle what you want. And then from there, you can start thinking about how much money do I need to be charging to support the type of lifestyle I want. 
And I also think to your point earlier, Cassidy, we want to also include things like how can I afford ongoing self-care for myself? What would that cost? What would it look like for me to include continuing education in my business plan? Um, you know, how, what are, what are some of those other things? Then you can go, okay, now I I have a loose idea of how many people I want to see, how much it's going to cost. Oh, this is the other thing I was going to say, retirement, making sure that your, your fee can include saving money for retirement. Um, there are a lot of other questions you can kind of ask yourself and taxes. then find it. always concerned that ta- taxes, you know, taxes yes. Oh my gosh. Of course. Taxes, 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 right? Because that's such a big misconception. People are like, oh, I'm charging $150 an hour. That's $150 an hour in my bank. And it's like, mm, it's $150 nope. in your bank for about a week before then you have to pay bills and pay your taxes. So take a third of that right off the top for your taxes. Yeah. Then you also have to think about office rent, internet utilities, um, any sort of software like uh, simple practice, right? Anything Mm -hmm. like that you have to pay for. So it becomes a math problem, but it shouldn't be too overwhelming. I have a very, very thorough blog post just to plug myself here all about how to set your fees because it can take some time. But I think if we do the therapist thing and first envision our life and then add numbers to it, it makes more sense instead of trying to pick a number and then create a life around that. Totally. Oh my gosh, exactly. And that's in in the Modern Therapist Academy course. The first whole module is about like visualization. Like mm, I there's like mm-hmm. actual like I and I I play some some very meditative music in the background as I suppose I walk people through like this daydream that you're talking about because I think it's so it's so right. Like we need to have first the foundation of identifying the vision, right, which yep. can evolve yep. and can be flexible and can move, right, of course, right. and identifying the values, right, that are going to inform the the sort of decision-making that you're going to make moving forward and, and get that big picture of what you want your day to look like, the big picture of what you want your life to look like, and then the, the more narrow kind of focused picture of what the day-to-day is going to look like. So I love that that's where you started. And then, and then we got to unpack the numbers. And right. with the numbers, we got to take into consideration all these pieces that you named, the expenses, the retirement, the time off, the taxes. And yeah, is it helpful to kind of have a sense of what other people in your area are charging? Like totally. I think that that like what, you know, area and where you're working can definitely um, play a part because cost of living can um, definitely be something context matters, right? Mm-hmm. For all of these things. Um, but then, oh gosh, there, there are these pieces we have to consider when we're looking at our fee. But I love that we're starting off here by getting the big picture and then the focused picture of what you want your life day to day to actually look like. Right. right, right. And like you said earlier, it's really hard to open up that spreadsheet before you've do, done some of this work. And if you can have that really spacious, aligned vision for your practice in your mind's eye, it will make it a little less uncomfortable when you're doing the spreadsheet. Exactly. Oh my gosh. And when you start plugging in the numbers, to me, it's actually once I had done that work, once I came up with the equation and started to look at the numbers in my real life, right? Like actually looking at, okay, what are our monthly expenses? 
Like what are, what's the, what are our, what's our tax rate going to look like? Like talk to my accountant, get a sense of that percentage based on our family size and all of the elements. Mm-hmm. What are going to be the costs? It actually got kind of exciting. Like once I got a sense of like, okay, if I want to see this many people and this is everything I have to take into consideration, what's the number? What that comes out? Like what's the output in number that comes out? And to see the number was exciting because now I'm going into setting this fee really informed so that when I'm sharing my fee on my website, when I'm sharing my fee with a potential client, I feel so much more secure in that number because I know at the end of the day what I'm actually taking home Mm -hmm. and how that's actually going to support the life that I'm building for me and my family versus when I first started off, and I just developed a fee based on what others were, were charging. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely struggled with I, this idea of charging too much. And I would get on the phone, <laughs> Lindsay, and the first thing I would say is, and I offer a sliding scale. Right? And people are going to be like, <laughs> well, that sounds good. What's that? Right, you know? right. um, and I was I was contracting clients in at, a, at, at rates that were just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. But that's because I hadn't done the work of really knowing Knowing what that fee represents, where money is going to be going, what I'm bringing home, and I didn't have that bigger vision, right? But right, so it's so it's so critical, um, and and why your part in all of this is so key is there is so much emotion and history and just stuff that comes along with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially, oh gosh, money is 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 just one of those topics that you can't take the psychological, the emotional, the relational out of it. Like right. you've got to be looking at the whole picture. So what are some of what's what are some tips that you have or advice that you have for therapists as they are just trying to start to get organized and they're navigating some of these blocks and they're starting to run their business, just any sort of practical tips that you have. And I will definitely be linking that blog post that you mentioned earlier, because that sounds like it's going to be such a great foundational place for people to start. But any, any other sort of tips that you would offer for people to kind of get started when it comes to working on their relationship with money, especially as it relates to being a therapist and their business? Yeah, I think as we've been talking about today, it's so important to get your mindset on board. So first start examining those thoughts, like how true is it that you can't be a good therapist and make money? You know, what would have to change? What proof do you need to to start dismantling some of those old beliefs and old thoughts and challenging them? Why is it that a field that is dominated by women is a field that everybody's okay being underpaid in, right? And Mm. and as therapists, as advocates for social justice, we are allowed to kind of take up the cause and say, hey, a a part of social justice advocacy is financial justice. um, And we can't be serving our clients if we are barely making ends meet and scraping by, you know, just like we know we've all had those weeks in private practice where we see clients and we look at our schedule and it's really jam packed, but we tell ourselves on Monday, like, it's not a big deal. I can totally do this. And then Friday comes around and your eyes are glazed over and you know, you're doing C minus therapy. Like we've all had those, right? Oh, I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) Because we think that's that other myth is like that. We think that the more we serve, the more more we are helping, right? The more clients I see, the more insurances I take, the more I slide my scale, the more people I will be helping. But it's also at what cost? 
Yeah. So starting to examine what does it mean to me as a human being to see 40 clients a week? Am I really giving my best therapeutic self to every single client? The answer is Mm. probably not, right? And is it really to all of my clients' advantage, to your example earlier, if I offer everybody sliding scale? (laughs) Right? Probably not. So starting to challenge those thoughts is huge. And it's really hard to challenge those thoughts in an industry, in a profession that tells you again and again, you don't deserve to make money. So finding Mm. people like you, finding other therapists and other allied mental health care professionals who are also on this journey of saying, I can make money and be a good mental health care provider. Practicing financial self-care is just as important as other elements of self-care, right? We can start to look at those those thought patterns and dismantle them with other people's help. Um, Mm -hmm. It's so important to do it in in community with others who can also understand the confusion of getting all these messages about money. So that would be like first and foremost is start to think about money in a way – that you can really do your, your money mindset work on it. Then when it comes to the logistics, that's a bit different. I think it depends on each person. But mm-hmm. in general, I would say like if you're just trying to figure out like what, what should I even be doing with my money, at least once a month, give a, a commit to yourself that you will sit down and look at your numbers. And when I say look at your numbers, I mean look at how much money is coming into your business bank account and how much money is going out of your business bank account. And if you just went, huh, I'm supposed to have a business bank account? That is step one. <laughs> we want to yes. set up your business legally and separate it out from your personal, right? So mm-hmm. there are many, many starting points. Um, Uh, Yeah. So I'll pause there and then we can keep going. But I know I just rambled off a bunch of stuff. No, no. I love this. And okay. And for anyone who's listening and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't have a business account. I did not have one at first either. Mm -hmm. It took me some time to separate my business entity from my personal formed in California as a licensed therapist. We cannot form LLCs. It has to be a corporation. Um, So I formed my corporation and then I in doing that, I also had my own separate business account and that took me time. So anyone who's listening, it's like, you're okay. You're okay. Like take a breath. Like now you can start to take some of these steps. Mm -hmm. And what was so important about that was because yes, then I had a business bank account. And now, so for the first few years after I did that, I was doing all my bookkeeping myself. um, And I would, like you said, set aside the time look at my bank and identify the income that I made, everything that came in, and then everything that came out, including the processing fees, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I use Ivy Pay. Um, it's the processing fees that were taken out, all of the expenses. And it was so valuable. I was so much more equipped at the end of each month and at the end of the year to see and to know what my expenses were and what my income was, because then you're working with real numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and doing that as early as you can so you can go into the next year informed of what changes you might want to make um, or month to month what changes you want to make in terms of expenses or how many clients you're seeing or what your fees, what you're going to be setting your fee at. 
it's so helpful to have those real numbers. And now that I've gotten to a point, um, and for me, I took steps to diversify my income, which was part of my big vision and has also Mm -hmm. contributed to my income. Um, I'm at a space now and at a point in my business where I have now a separate LLC um, for my educational and coaching services, um, like my courses. So I have a bookkeeper now and thank goodness for my bookkeeper um, because it took, uh, for QuickBooks felt like another language to me. And so Mm -hmm. working with a bookkeeper has really helped me organize my finances even more. Um, And Mm so for me being able to also outsource when I get to the point of being able to um, is really helpful um, because I have now a person I can talk to like monthly about my finance, my financial, um, the finances of my company, my financial health and all the decisions I'm making. Um, But I didn't have a bookkeeper for the first few years. And it was just me looking at my bank account every month and writing down the numbers and calculating them. And that was such a helpful step. So Yes, (laughs) just in alignment and agreeing with everything you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, and again, it sounds like things we do as therapists all the time. If you have a client who comes in with a lot of anxiety and a lot of anxious thoughts, one of the first things you do is say, write those thoughts down. Let's get them out of your head. Let's start examining them. Let's take a look at when you notice them, right? Because it's really hard to make change if we don't first do the first step of kind of labeling it. So again, these are things that are well within our wheelhouse. So I appreciate you saying, yes, the first thing I did was look at what was coming in and going out of my bank account. And I realized when I needed to tap on somebody's shoulder, so to speak, to get help when my bookkeeping became either overwhelming or you hit that point where it no longer made sense for you, right? At some point in our businesses, it no longer makes sense for us to do our own number stuff. But I always, always, always think that you should have an idea, a good comfort and a good idea of what's happening before you pass it off or at least in parallel when you pass it off, right? Because we don't want to get into a habit where we're saying, somebody else is just doing my numbers. I don't really know what's going on. That's not much better than you not doing your numbers at all. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, you might have something that's well, that's pretty organized to hand your accountant when it's tax time, but if you don't know what was happening in there, um, exactly. You're, it's, 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 we still kind of have the like head in the sand thing happening. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, so I think that it's, oh, I love, I, I'm so excited to share this conversation because it's just, it's something that I think I really needed to hear when I first started off and mm-hmm. I just kind of stumbled my way, um, painfully to a place of being in a better space with it. Um, but oh my gosh, in the beginning, especially it was, it was really hard. And I just went off of what I thought others were doing or what others would want me to be doing. Right. And I just, it it was, it was a struggle for a long time in the beginning. Um, so the work that you do is so important, Lindsay, where can people find you and your resources and all the things that you offer? And then everything you share, I'll be sure to share in the show notes of this episode for listeners to go and click on as soon as we're done here. Uh, what are, what, where can people find you? What are all the things that you're offering? 
my business is called Mind Money Balance, M-I-N-D, and I'm active over on Instagram at that handle. My podcast is of that name. My website is mindmoneybalance.com. So if you plug that in anywhere, you should be able to find me. One, uh, one great way to kind of get started on your money journey is to learn a little bit more about your financial archetype, right? So understanding that there's so much more than just being a saver or a spender. There are four unique archetypes rooted in financial therapy research that can help you understand the ways in which you interact with money and what might be contributing to different choices that you make. So if you want to take that quiz and find out your financial archetype, just go to mindmoneybalance.com slash quiz. And I will add that link in the show notes because first off, everyone loves a good quiz. I yes. know I do. <laughs> and secondly, I saw I saw that you share that quiz and kind of explored it a little bit. And I just think it's a great, great way to kind of, kind of start off to kind of get to know yourself a little bit better and take some of those steps towards you know, really bringing out that money story and those money mindset blocks out, putting them and putting them, bringing them into the light so that we can start to do the work so that you can really start to build a business that is not just financially healthy, but is getting you to your goals and supporting you and living in alignment with the life that you want to be living and yeah. being able to support and show up for your clients because you're supporting and showing up for yourself. So I'm so grateful to know you and be connected to you and to share you now with all the podcast listeners. Head to the show notes to learn more about Lindsay and her incredible work. Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for showing up today and for showing up for all those that you show up for. I'm just so grateful to know you and to have you on the show. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure, Cassidy. Glad to be here. I really hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. Ready to build or grow your modern private practice? Click the link in the show notes for Modern Therapist Academy, a comprehensive e-course to support you in building and growing your private practice. Thank you for inviting me and my guests into your day. Be sure to subscribe so you can be the first to hear when new episodes launch. Have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.